Susanna Wise is a contributing writer for Ethical Feminism and the U.S. Post writer whose work has appeared in Washington Post, Salon, 17, BuzzFeed, The Huffington Post, Bustle, Healthy, Raising Gender and Sexuality Studies, Modern Culture, Media, Chicago, and Science. You can follow her at Susanna Wise. June 2nd, 2016. Seven toxic sex messages I wish I had been debunked before I became sexually active. So, this is Susanna's thoughts. For a young woman, the process of exploring your sexuality for the first time should be an exciting, empowering, and enlightening one. Unfortunately, we often forget that. Instead, our society is steeped in messages that depict women's sexual awakenings as scary, painful, and confusing. Folklore and fairy tales give the impression that women's full range of sexual activity must come at a price. And well into the 21st century, women receive warnings that link sexuality to physical and emotional trauma. As a teenager, no adults initiated conversations with me about sexuality. So I was left to assess the messages I got from media myself. Sex is painful. Sex is violent. Sex is something that is taken from me. I became really scared of my own sexuality. I abstained from sex for a while because I thought it would change who I was. And when I did become sexually active, I often prioritized my partner's pleasure over mine. If someone had been there to teach me healthy messages about sex, I might have known that sex could be better than what people are saying. I wish someone had told me I wasn't idealistic to hope for unequivocally positive sexual experiences. In particular, I wish someone had debunked the following myths. So I'm debunking them now in the hopes that any young woman about to start exploring her own sexuality will no longer believe them. Myth number one, sex only means one thing. Being the bookish, somewhat anti-social kid I was, I learned about sex from the dictionary at age 10. I heard someone reference on the bus as the way you make babies and it sounded intriguing, so I decided to look it up. Since the definite... Since the de dictionary definition of sex, sexual activity, including specifically sexual intercourse, is not very informative, I rely on the dictionary definition of sexual intercourse, sexual contact between individuals involved in penetration, especially the insertion of a man's erect penis into a woman's vagina, typically culminating in orgasm and ejaculation of semen. I'm serious, Google. Aside from being sexist as hell, this makes seem like the only way to have sex is to put a penis in a vagina which makes it sound like only straight cisgender people have sex. The conversations I had later with my friends confirmed that sex meant a penis going into a vagina, that this act was more significant than oral or manual sex. Those were just fooling around, quote unquote. A high school teacher I admired told the class not to have sex till we were in our 20s. That stuck with me for a while. I took pride in losing my virginity at age 20. But the truth is, I became sexually active at age 17, the first time I quote-unquote fooled around. For the first two years of college, I stopped short of people who sex so I had a serious portion because I was scared that act would somehow change me. When I did do that, I put more stock in the relationship than deserved because he quote-unquote had my virginity, just like she said, quote-unquote losing her virginity at age 20. We weren't a great match, but if I broke up with him, I'd be one of those girls in quotations who had sex without true lasting love. The remain of this article to avoid further the damage done to me and others by defining sex narrowly and heteronormatively, 
I'm going to call fooling around what it is. Those activities may have involved slightly different body parts and different configurations. But I was physically intimate with someone for the purpose of obtaining sexual pleasure. Let's call a spade a spade of sex. Myth, myth number two, sex means love. Before anyone even talked to me about sex, I somehow learned to connect sex with love. Maybe it was the girl's self-help books I read who said you should wait until you're in love with someone before you sleep with them. Maybe it's the way I heard people talk about women who had sex without love. Whatever it was, I got the idea that sex is a way to solidify my relationship with my boyfriend and I shouldn't do it if I didn't have a boyfriend in the first place. Soon, however, I realized through experience that sex is not inherently loving. It could be done lovingly when it's trusting and communicating like anything else. But if someone has sex with you, that doesn't mean they love you. It doesn't mean they be closer afterward. In fact, when communication is poor, sex can actually lead to people or more than two people, because you have group sex, feeling farther apart than ever. Believing that sex is love obscures the effort necessary to demonstrate actual love. We both devalues love and overvalues sex. Myth number three, sex will make people like you. As a straight woman, I learned that when men really, what men really want out of me is sex, or even though having sex was a quote-unquote slutty thing to do, the approval I got in return might make the supposed transgressions worth it. Well, there were instances when others pressured me to sexual acts. I was often pressuring myself. I was scared that guys wouldn't like me if I wasn't up for the kind of relationship they wanted. Never mind whether or not I liked them. For the most part, though, when I've had the courage to say, quote unquote, no, nobody's always against me. When they have, I immediately understood that they were not the kind of person I ever wanted to be alone in a room with, let alone have a relationship with. Any decent person, read, not a rapist, will want you to do, will want you to do only what you're comfortable with. And their opinions you won't change if you're uncomfortable with something they want. In fact, they'll be glad to take care of yourself by protecting your boundaries. Myth number four, sex will make people dislike you. During my freshman year of college, it seemed to hit my parents that they'd never talked to me about sex because suddenly they had a lot to say on the matter. I kind of wish they didn't. They told me to steer clear of one night stands because they earned me a quote unquote reputation and because it would make my parents lose interest due to quote unquote male psychology. Neither of these things happened, but I was scared they would. My sexual interactions were tempted to fear that my partner would no longer buy the cow since they could get the milk for free as if sex could, couldn't be mutually rewarded. Years went by before I realized that if, years went by before I realized that if someone's just looking for a hookup, withholding sex won't change that. And if someone's looking for a relationship, sleeping with them won't change that either. And even if they don't want to date you, that doesn't mean they don't like you. Again, even if they don't want to date you, that doesn't mean they don't like you. It just means you're not looking for the same thing at that moment. Sex won't make people like you or dislike you. People like or dislike you based on your character. Even if they seem to judge you for sexual behavior, their opinions aren't really about you. They're about what you can provide for them, and that's not a healthy dynamic to begin with. Myth number five, guys are out to take advantage of you. Along with the guys just want sex mentality came with guys are trying to prey on you, prey on you, warning. Women shouldn't wear short skirts or go into a man's room alone, people told me because they're putting themselves in danger, as if rape were some sort of natural disaster with no human choice behind it. 
Unfortunately, in college, I started to have discussions about sexual assault and boundaries with my peers. And I learned that sex didn't have to be a game that a man wins by convincing a woman to sleep with him. I learned that people of all genders had many of the same concerns. Women weren't the only ones to experience sexual assault. We also weren't the only ones to want more than a physical relationship. While the exact numbers are hard to determine, it appears that the number of men who are sexual assault victims is larger than the number of men who are rapists. Learning this helped me see to that we are on the same page. Learning this helped me to see that we are on the same page as they learned that many men I knew wanted more than sex but felt confined by gender norms. Straight people and others as well, since everyone is assumed to be straight, learn to be relationships as power struggles between, between two different types of people with opposing desires. So the most liberating fact I've learned about relationships is that we're all individuals. Now, if I hear a potential date say stuff like men and women are complementary or we should tell their differences, I run in the opposite direction because it probably means that somewhere inside them is a belief that men are in pursuit of sex while women can, can grant or deny it. And that belief can very quickly slip into viewing sexual assault as natural and inevitable, which it absolutely isn't. Myth number six, you're not capable of taking advantage of anyone. Another insidious effect of the belief that men are predators and women are prey is the belief that women can't be sexually manipulated or coercive because discussions of sexual misconduct often seem to women as victims and men as perpetrators. It took a long time for it to occur to me that I needed to be as careful about my partner's boundaries as I wanted them to be about mine. There were times when I complained because my, my partner didn't want to have sex. There was one time I even addressed myself after my boyfriend said he wasn't moved that night because I'd seen Jennifer Aniston do that in a movie trailer and it was depicted as a cute funny thing to do. Debinarizing the way we talk about sex means not only acknowledging the positive ways we're all alike, but also acknowledging our negative commonalities. One of these is that we're all capable of sexual assault and misconduct. We all need to learn how to practice consent cautiously. Myth number seven. Don't expect it to be good at first. Don't expect it to be good at first. When we talk to women about their first sexual experiences, it's often in the form of a warning. The warnings I received included, one, it'll hurt, two, you'll get attached, three, you won't get much pleasure out of it, four, make sure it's with someone you really love and trust but don't break your heart. If I could erase one thing I was taught about sex in this time, I was talking about penis and vagina sex because that's how it was taught to me, it'll be the notion that it's normal for it to hurt. Yes, there are some women who experience this, but not for the reasons you might think. In reality, if sex hurts, it's usually a sign that you're not ready or not sufficiently aroused. It's not usually because of the hymen. In fact, the whole notion of the hymen is so wrong that some medical professionals won't even use the word. The Swedish Association for Sexuality Education has instead coined the term vaginal corona to more accurately describe the thin, small piece of tissue sometimes found around the vaginal opening. You don't always have it when you've never had vaginal sex and it doesn't always go away after you do. For me, despite my friends this morning that vaginal sex for the first time would hurt, it didn't actually felt awesome. But it concerns me to think about the women who did experience pain didn't stop because they thought it was normal. It also concerns me to think about women who didn't experience pleasure and thought that was normal too. The belief that these things were normal made me feel abnormal. My boyfriend even asked me when I had broken my hymen because he thought every woman had one 
and was surprised that there wasn't any pain or blood. I feel like I felt like the event didn't occur the way it was supposed to, like it was less special because of that. All the media depictions I've seen of girls losing their virginities has made it seem special because they trust their partners to see them in pain and to not make the pain too extreme. After I talked to my friends about it, though, a lot of them had also been surprised to find that they didn't seem to have a hymen either, at least not the version of it we'd learn about. But why does the belief in this mythical body part persist? I think it's part of the symbolic idea that for women, sexuality comes with a price. We're not supposed to experience pleasure without pain. That's cheating. We need to pay our dues, whether that's in the form of physical pain, emotional heartbreak, or public shaming. Being sexual can't be simple, but it can be. Sexuality can be whatever you make it. I wish I had been taught that sooner. That's a scary thought, though. It kind of takes the significance out of all that actually been taught as significant. But it's also exciting because it means we can define our sex life as we please. For example, while the traditional idea of virginity doesn't mean true for me, I still really like the idea of virginities. Plural, the first time you have sex in the shower, the first time you masturbate in front of someone, the first time you try a new position. That would supply virginities is unlimited, and their loss is never really lost because there are always more to quote-unquote lose. And while I hate the idea of men and women as complementary, I love the idea of different people complimenting one another in different ways, ways that you would you would have never predicted and that would be different with every partner. For a girl first navigating sex relationships, sexuality could feel like a prison and finding means of pain and suffering, disapproval and, and danger. But I promise it's the opposite. It's an open field full of possibilities and they're changing every second. And the only bars are the ones society locks us behind. Nobody really wants to be restricted in this way though. And if you break free, you'll find people who will follow you outside. Wow, I really connect with this article because I was taught these lies too when it came to the sexual abuse of my childhood, the sexual hypermasculinity that I was exposed to in adolescence and then the Victorian era style of sexuality I was taught later on. I said I can't do any of these things. I must say that sex is inherently loving for me because sex for me is inherently compassionately loving. I say that word because y'all know that I'm a casual sex having type of person. And one night stands are good, and I, as you know, I'm, like I told you in the last episode, one night stands are part of my sex life. And I also want to say that. It helps me to better understand female sexuality. Because I'm still educating myself about it, so doing episodes like this is quite So I have a better understanding to the best of my ability uh, what women go through what girls go through when it comes to the topic of sex and how it's used as a 
massage mystic weapons. I think about how meaningful it is to have conversations like this. Because I have a better understanding of my partner. people I have sex with are women. Those are the things I can say and uh, I appreciate this article so much. I'm gonna I just say thank you Susanna Wise. That's all I can say. There's a little more that I can say. What I'm proud of when it comes to myself is just me choosing to live a life. that I have, my partners with me, we regard each other's humanity, um, my partners and I are physically protective of each other, um, my partners and I are emotionally safe with each other, my partners and I intellectually Soulfully safeguarding one another. This I I prioritize my partner's pleasure as much as I prioritize my own pleasure. 